You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Denver, Colorado. And you can find out more about us at houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy is yours from our triune God. Amen. In the midst of all the really difficult news from around the world, there happen to be a bunch of billionaires who are putting their time and money into building rocket ships and spaceships, some with the goal of colonizing Mars. A friend of mine noticed that and said, it's like they're wanting to create a new heaven and a new earth elsewhere. And likewise, there are some people of faith who see the bad news out there as evidence that they'll soon be raptured away from this earth. Life, again, is to be found elsewhere. And I kind of get this because of how scary and terrible some things really are. But in both scenarios, there's a whole lot of people being left behind. Those don't feel like stories of real hope to me. Everyone for themselves is not a hopeful scenario. Even so, we can and must keep living our lives. And that's a sign of hope right there. Today's gospel, as you just heard, is a little story about a piece of ordinary life. On one hand, it's a typical story of friends gathering to celebrate a wedding, something that happens all the time. And sometimes things go wrong at weddings, like running out of wine, and in this story, that gets taken care of, and the joy of being together and celebrating continues. But this little story is also a really big story. It's a timey-wimey story, if there's any Doctor Who fans here. It's because it encompasses the whole overarching Christ story, from creation to the death and resurrection of the Christ to the wedding feast of the Christ in the church in Revelation, and everything in between. And I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, but this story is 11 verses. Come on. We'll get to that. However, it is a story that's imbued with hope. It's a story that reminds us that when there's all kinds of destruction and things happening out there, there really is something else going on. So let me explain. Like I said, it's timey-wimey, so I'm going to start with the beginning of the big overarching story, where it is located in the middle of the little story of the wedding. In the middle of that story, it says, there just happened to be six stone jars sitting there at this wedding. And these were jars that were used for holding water for purification rites. People could wash in this water and purify themselves so they could worship God in the temple. These jars were precious and expensive because each one was hewn from a large piece of rock. That there were six of them would have been significant to the Jewish hearers of the day. Because for them, the number six was the number of the days of creation. There we are at the very beginning. God made all this stuff, made humans in her image, and called us all good. And God never retracted or reneged on that. We're still good. These jars were hewn from the earth, and they represented to these folks their story, the one that was written on their hearts, and our story with God. God has a cool way of always gathering everybody in. 
And it may have been even more poignant, poignant to these hearers because this gospel was written, we think, maybe 60 or 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the Jews had already seen the destruction of their temple in 70 CE. So there was memory of their story. And a really quick but I think important note, the number six in the Jewish mindset also meant something is incomplete. Seven is the number of, of completion. The six refers to the belief that creation is ongoing. It's not done. Life and death and resurrection, new beginnings, are still happening always, like a new beginning at a wedding. It's happening throughout the whole cosmos right now. That cosmos is ever expanding and increasing in complexity and depth and diversity. Stars are dying and new planets are being born all the time. But some interpret New Testament passages with some anti-Semitism. Like, now that we have the new wine, y'all are obsolete. But the Jewish ways are not replaced or left behind. Their faith is the foundation for the progression of the journey of all of us into God. These days, that feels important to say. So this little gospel story begins with, on the third day, the gospel writer John often starts things with phrases like that. On the next day, this happened. And then the next day, this happened. But now, this story begins with, on the third day. So like the Jews, there are certain things that um, are deep in our hearts that we hear. So when you hear, on the third day, what comes to mind for you? Shout it out. Resurrection, of course. So there's the resurrection already in the second chapter of the Gospel of John. And wedding stories in the Gospels are meant to foreshadow the marriage or the union with God and all things at the end of time. The wedding or our union with God is actually already here because everything is already one and connected. Even quantum science is saying that. But still, it is not yet timey-wimey. Okay, back to the story. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had been invited to this wedding as well as Jesus and the disciples. And Jewish weddings in those days were high festival. The celebrations could go on for days, sometimes seven days. There was a wedding planner or head steward in charge, which probably meant that the family was wealthy. The bridegroom was typically responsible for supplying the wine. But as mentioned, like what happens at many weddings, there was a problem. The guests had already drank up all the wine. It was only the third day. Running out of wine is a breach of hospitality and etiquette for a celebration such as this. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, notices this. And we're not sure if she was there helping with the wedding or what, but whatever the case is, she saw it. She saw the problem. And she said to Jesus, they have no wine. And I'm sure Jesus was looking at her and going, and? But she said to him, well, then he said, what has this got to do with you and me? There's something about their relationship going on there. This is not my time. But she turns to the servants who just happened to be standing there and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus, being the good Jewish son, steps up and tells them to fill the jars with water. He trusts her. He is humble. And that's a whole other sermon there that maybe someday will be preached. Jesus says elsewhere that he only does whatever he sees his holy parent, the holy father, holy mother, doing. 
And that gives us a hint. God is humble. Now, these jars were 20 to 30 gallons apiece, and in our Alexia the other night, Aaron pointed out that filling them would have taken a ton of work. They have to go wherever the well or water source was, fill up a bucket, carry it back, fill up the jar, and keep repeating until the jars were filled to the brim. And so when they were finally filled to the brim, Jesus tells them to draw some out and bring it to the head steward in charge. And when the steward tastes it, he's amazed because it is incredible wine. He calls the bridegroom over and says, hey, most people serve the cheap wine at the end when everybody is already drunk, so they don't notice, right? But you have saved the best wine for the end of the party. He had no idea what had just happened. But the text specifically says the servants knew. But he and the bridegroom must have been immensely relieved. And then the story ends abruptly. The disciples saw Jesus' glory and believed in him. But what I want us to notice is that we are hearing the story of what actually happened at this wedding from below, from the underside, through the perspective of the servants and the observers who were likely the disciples. It was the servants, the invisible people, the lesser class who assisted Jesus and saw this water become wine. The guys of privilege never knew what miracle had happened among them. The servants did. And it was a woman giving orders first. Just have to point that out. In our Lexio night, and you're all welcome, that's Thursday nights, we put the link in the house page, um, in our Lexio on Thursday night, we were talking about Mary and thinking, well, she's certainly heard from God before, you know, at Jesus' birth and all of that. And Advent's coming up. We're going to hear that story again. She may have been the one to inaugurate Jesus' public ministry. And we have already noted that the servants worked really hard to fill the jars. So the point is here that Jesus did not do this miracle alone. He did it in community. So, this story goes back to our beginnings. It foreshadows our future union with God. But what about now? What about here in the not yet that we live in? Soon after this, Jesus would be preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God among us and what it is like. He talked about it, though, in the present tense. Jesus had changed the waters of purification to a wonderful new wine. Something had changed then. Something new was already happening. Not many knew it yet, but the kingdom of God that he will preach about had already come, and these servants and the disciples and Mary saw it at the wedding. The law had been fulfilled. And perhaps this is what the law being fulfilled actually looks like. A community laughing and dancing and celebrating, having women in charge, and enjoying abundance together. So what about now? The new wine is right here, right now with us as we look upon the communion table set for us by community. Our table is brimming with the new wine. Aram and I have been here at house since almost the very beginning. And it was at this very table, which we have dragged across Denver to various locations, but it was at this table 
that I first heard a female voice say to me as she held up the bread, child of God, the body of Christ given for you. And I was in tears. It was very healing because I had come from a place that was almost all male. Not that that's bad, but it's kind of unbalanced, you know. And then right next to her was a gay man who was holding the cup, and I heard the blood of Christ shed for you. And I actually thought at that moment, and it's because I'll never forget it, even though it was quite a while ago, I thought, this is the kingdom. It's here. This is what we've been waiting for. So the kingdom of God has come, and it progresses, it expands, it gathers in, it opens us up to an unfettered welcome of God for us and all others. This is especially meaningful to us today because tomorrow is the Trans Day of Remembrance. People who are not welcomed in many places and still struggle for acceptance. And at this table, even those who don't know where the new wine came from, like the steward, can still enjoy it. That's why we have an open table. It's a table not for the special and the worthy, but for the hungry and the thirsty. So at the very beginning at house, we were reminded that as the body of Christ was broken for us and we each take of it together, Christ is remembered. Christ is remembered back in us uniting us as one, and we become members of each other. We see this in sweet little ways, like when Alice and Jimmy shared the news of a new baby, and people were rejoicing with them and began to look for ways to help. And when a busy mother of two is exhausted and asks for help, she has brought many meals. This is what kingdom hope looks like in community. And we're part of a larger community, Aram and I have a good friend who works in the Palestinian refugee camps. And she is teaching online right now about the complex history there and stories of struggle and hope and renewal. She is literally a lifeline for many people. And last week, Anderson Cooper interviewed a nurse from Doctors Without Borders about her team of 50 that had to get out of Gaza because they had no more supplies to help. And they were running out of food and water for themselves. And some of the people who were so traumatized by loss and were so um, needy because they had wounds that they couldn't help were starting to feel a little bit dangerous to them. So the national team there risked their own lives and gave them their own meager portions of food and water and pulled every string and called in every favor they could to get them out. She said they risked so much to get us out knowing they couldn't come with us. The nurse was asked, well, would you go back to Gaza? And she said, in a heartbeat. There was extraordinary courage, amazing love. All these things, whether small or large, all reveal the kingdom of God among us. All of this is what kingdom hope does. The new wine is flowing right here, right now. So I think what this beautiful little story is saying is, see... It's here, the new kingdom, the reign of God is here, and it is to come. Those who are in lowly places, those who are marginalized, those who are suffering, those who are under the rubble, well, they get to see it first because it does not come through privilege or lots of money or fancy rocket ships or exploding bombs and military might. It is not a colonizing kind of kingdom. 
It comes in a way no one would expect. It comes in quietly and in humility and in frailty and weakness. It comes in the form of giving and forgiving. That's what the cross is all about. All is asked, that is asked of us is to pay attention. It has been said that attention is the purest form of generosity. When people see a need, they move in to fill it. The prophet Isaiah once gave us the words of God. He said, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And the question is for us, do we perceive it? Do you perceive the kingdom here, right here, right now? So this story tells us that the party started when everything first came into being, through the metaphor of a garden filled with beauty and abundance. And we all know that the story turns and gets really, really hard. But we are given each other. And like the servants, we are invited to co-create with God and with each other in this kingdom life. And it will all end with a party at a table at which all are finally welcome forever and ever. And as an 86-year-old friend who comes to Lexio, her name happens to be Mary, said to us, she says, you know, Jesus' first miracle was not about feeding the poor or healing the sick, although he does a lot of that later on. It was about bringing the new wine to keep the party going. And I imagine that one day there'll be seven huge brimming jars of wine when all are finally gathered in and welcomed. Maybe seven billion jars, I don't know. But our call right now is to simply perceive this movement of God that is right here, right now within us and participate in it now in whatever way we can. The kingdom happens in us and among us in community, right here, right now. And we will see, and we can say that we have seen Jesus in his glory, flipping life right side up. I'm gonna close again with the words from Isaiah, who says this, that I find so beautiful and hopeful. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and a feast of well-aged wines a rich food filled with marrow and well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples and, is covering, and the covering that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, all faces. And the disgrace of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord is spoken. Amen. Let it be so. You've been listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. If you would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, please visit our website at houseforall.org giving.